I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A pleasure to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Obviously not the same with... uh, Obviously, a lot less travel, people away from families, but hey, you know, we'll get through this. And the good news is the football did go on, except for the Steelers and the Ravens. Hoping for that game to take place on Tuesday. What a mess that has been. The Ravens with a litany of uh, people testing positive for COVID-19. Then the game pushed from Sunday to Tuesday night, so hopefully that game will happen. Before we dive into Sunday's action, though, let's go back to Thanksgiving and the action that we thought was going to happen. And Matt Patricia and the Detroit Lions, along with General Manager Bob Quinn. Now, you have been on this for a while now, Mike. So this is one of those that, hey, I've been telling you all along, this is the old I told you so. This is two straight seasons under 500, and a third season of the team was again under 500 at midseason. Patricia's record, 13-29-1 since taking over as a Lions coach in 2018. Quinn had been the team's GM since 2016, and the Lions were 31-43-1 during his tenure. And don't forget, they had Jim Caldwell. That's who Quinn had hired. Uh, they had back-to-back nine-seven seasons. Said, you know what? That's not good enough. I'm going to hire Patricia. He comes over from the Patriots. He's got the winning way, and it obviously never did work out. Thursday was the straw that broke the camel's back, Mike. But the last two or three weeks, you saw the Lions. I mean, they were hovering around 500, then a couple of bad losses. And that's when ownership realized enough was enough. As we say farewell to Patricia and the number two pencil, why did it take so long? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the what makes the Detroit organization so uniquely uh, weird that they don't win and why it's such a good job. I mean, I think that they have patience. I do think that the the Ford family, the Firestone family, you know, they have patience. But in this decade, you know, they're 70, 100, they're basically in this decade, they have not proven to be correct. I mean, proven to be successful. They're 76, 97, and one in this decade. And look, you know, let's separate personalities here. I, I, Matt, as a person, you know, is a good guy. Bob Quinn as a person is a really good guy. Uh, however, you know, I never thought Matt would be a very good head coach. I think I'm documented in saying that because I think Matt wanted to be Bill Jr. And Matt never gave any authentic 
coaching to what he was believing in. And, and as to evaluate coaches, to really truly understand the genius of Belichick or the greatness of Pete Carroll or, or Sean Payton, these coaches or Andy Reid, these guys that really excel, the one thing you know for sure, whenever their side of expertise falls apart, it usually gets fixed. You've never seen a year where Andy Reid's offense has been stagnant. You've never seen a year where the Saints just don't do good. Now, I'm sure somebody on Twitter will find something and call me out on it. But but for the most part, the, when that area of expertise is handled correctly, you know you've got a good coach. You know, Matt's defense could never get hand. It never was good. In Detroit, it never was good. He wanted big guys because he thinks that's what Bill wants. He wanted slow. He wanted guys that played in the Patriots system. And, it, and he takes over a team that's 36-30-1. And, and this is really, truly a lesson for anybody who listens to this podcast that's in business, that's in, that's in a leadership position, is most people walk into an organization and they say, here is my 100-day plan. And they say, this is what I'm going to do the next 100 days. Whoever gets the Detroit GM job will say, this is what I'm going to do for the first 100 days. Whoever gets the Jacksonville GM job, this is what I'm going to do. When in reality, what they should do is say, I am going to spend the next 60 days understanding why I got this job. I want to know why I got the job. Because what Matt Patricia never understood is why he got the job. He got the job. He took over a 36-30 and 30 team with two playoff losses right? It was respectable. It wasn't Patriot-like. And they did nothing that the Patriots did. They had no attention to detail in terms of how the Patriots do things. But you just can't destroy people with that way of thinking. You can't. And here's where all these guys, here's where all these guys refuse to understand and appreciate Bill. In 1991, when Bill came to Cleveland, he was dubbed a Parcells clone. The media, led by the great Tony Grossi, you know, destroyed him, said he knew nothing about offensive football. He knew nothing about it. He was just trying to be a Bill Parcells clone. But Bill, Bill Belichick was never a Bill Parcells clone. He took some of Bill's ideas, but he was truly his own man from the teared shirts to the, to the way he dressed, all that. He was always his own man. And he struggled to change the culture in Cleveland in his first couple seasons. And we finally were able to do it after three years. And it took some time. It took some time from coaching. It took some time from players. But that metamorphosis, those three years that we went through to get the 94 team where we won 11 games, these guys, these coaches, the Manginis, the Patricias, the Josh McDaniels, these guys that went somewhere else, they never asked the question about those three years. Like if I were to ask John Calipari about what makes him successful, I would never want to talk about what he did at Kentucky. I'd want to know everything about what he did at UMass and what made him successful. Belichick's brilliance is those first three years in Cleveland. Now, nobody wants to hear that because nobody wants to discuss that because everybody wants to talk about the Super Bowls. But if it wasn't for those first three years in Cleveland, there would be no Super Bowls. And I think that's what Matt Patricia refused to understand. I mean, he would walk in my office and tell me about the, the, the Patriot, the, the, the defense and the origins of it. Like, you know, yo, Matt, I, I was in Cleveland in 91. You know, like I, I've been a part of this thing for as long as it's gone. Maybe I didn't work for Bill for all those years, but I've been a part of this thing for all these years. Like I understand why A happened to B happened to C happens. 
And most of these guys that fall from that tree refuse to understand it. And that's why they fall flat on their face and they wonder why it failed. Right. And we go back, like I said, this is one of those, you've been harping on this for a while. Longtime listeners of the GM Shuffle know that you've been saying this. Let's take a listen. Think about this. This is December 19th of, this is almost a year ago, 2019. This is when you were talking about Matt Patricia being inauthentic. But I think what he's trying to do is be Bill Belichick. And, and I've said this before. You can't emulate somebody. You have to be your own guy. And you're trying to be somebody you're not. You know, you're trying to be somebody you're not. And that, that, that never sells. Authenticity is the number one strength of leadership. You've got to be authentic. You know, you got to be who you are, you know, and you can't act your way through it. It never works. And look, they got to, I mean, Bob Quinn's got to do a better job of getting players. I think he probably knows that as much as anybody. And I'm sure there's a disconnect between Quinn and Patricia because who's responsible? Like you're sitting there, you're three and 10 one. Like you're sitting there saying, well, we got shitty players. Well, the GM and you are joined at the hip. Wait a minute. Like, where is the, like, what's go? We have bad schemes. Like, here's the fundamental question. It's either players, coaches, or schemes, right? And so when you say you're bringing them back, what are you saying? What are you saying? You're saying that we have good players. We have good schemes. We have good coaches, right? Or you're saying we're going to fire some coaches on defense. Well, your de- head coach is a defensive coach. So you're going to fire, you're going to fire some defense. Like you don't think he's running the defense. I mean, he still has the same call sheet he had when he was in new England. And here's this one from last month, November 5th, talking about inheriting the team. That can't be an excuse. This is what you were saying. No matter what Matt says to people about what he inherited, Jim Caldwell was six and two, the final eight games that he took over. So, you know, Matt might think he took over a dumpster fire. And in Matt's mind, he may be right as it relates to what the Patriots were in terms of their culture and their character. But he didn't take over a dumpster fire in terms of the one loss record based on Caldwell's one of the most successful coaches and had a better record over three years than Matt has. I mean, what a terrible blunder by Bob Quinn. I, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, Mike, but you were saying it all along. This wasn't a good hire for this position. You know, and I think that's really where the fault lies, right? Like, I mean, Bob Quinn and Matt used to sit in the back of the room in the team meetings, and that those two were best friends. And Matt, Bob Quinn got the job because Ernie Acorsi and Gil Brandt really lobbied the Ford family to get him that job there. And, you know, and Bob went in there as if he had all the fundamentals and he was really ready to take that job over and never asked anybody for any help. And then he gets a coach there and his job is to help the coach. You know, the GM job in the football today is, is really about how can I help this coach? Does this coach respect my knowledge of the game completely from players, plays, to scheme, to everything? Can he walk into my office and can we have a conversation about things that really matter that go to the team? Like if I were the GM in in, in Detroit and I hired Matt, I'd say, Matt, lose the pencil. Lose the pencil. Because subliminally, that pencil in your ear might be your signature, just like, you know, the Marvin Harry would put water in the goddamn houses they robbed and they were the wet bandits. You know, we need a signature, Harry, right? Seriously, like, okay, that's your signature. But you're looking at a laminated sheet. You're looking at a laminated sheet that you can't write on. Like the players put two and two together. They're really smart. They're really smart. They see you're just trying to imitate Belichick as he wears a pencil behind his ear. Like, Matt, here's what we need to do. And once again, if you don't really understand the histrionics of what you're doing, you're just going to condemn to make a mistake. That's why I wrote today on the for the Daily Coach. I wrote about why the Queen's Gamut is so powerful for coaches. Why studying chess is so powerful for coaches. Because most great chess players always go back and study former games. 
They're, they're so curious. They're reading books from the 17th century about chess matches, right? If Matt would have really wanted to be successful or Quinn really wanted to be successful or truly understand the origins of how this program was built, I know everybody wants to label it the New England program, but the son of a bitch started in Cleveland and it's no different from Cleveland as it is in New England down to the grading system. And unfortunately, no one wants to go back and understand how Bill overcame the things he overcame. The greatness of Bill was what he overcame. And they continue to want to ignore it. And so the media just says, okay, nobody from Belichick's tree can be successful. I disagree. Like, I think Josh McDaniels, having sat back and watched this, I think he's a smart enough guy to understand now that he what he did in Denver was wrong. But somebody in Denver needed to help him. There was nobody there to help him. And partly that's his own fault because he wanted somebody there that he, that he could control and all that. But the job of the GM is to help the coach and to bring light on the coach and to make the coach kind of get redirected because he's in a job that's challenging. And, and if he relies on his assistants, he's going to get fired. You know, Walsh used to say all the time, fellas, we're all in the same boat except my boat's ahead of yours. Walsh never really had counsel with the assistants. He asked them for their opinion, but he knew that they were only looking at it from a, from a micro level. He needed somebody to look at it from a macro level. So he got advice and counsel from other people. Same thing that that woman does in the, in the Queen's Gambit. She gets advice from other chess players, right? And they help her out. And if you don't have that as a GM, if you take over the Detroit job and you don't have somebody as a consultant or, or someone to help you, you're just going to make continually make the same mistakes over again because it's a job that you're never trained for. It's a job that you have to train yourself in. Well said. And that Bill Walsh quote in particular is very strong. And that brings us to, again, this continuing theme of management. We'll talk more about the games in a second, but this was major moves in terms of personnel and one that Mike's been harping on for a while. David Caldwell fired as a general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars, a third consecutive season of double-digit losses. So he's been the Jags GM since January of 2013. One winning season, 39-86 and 86 in his tenure, and have lost 10 or more every season under Caldwell except for 2017. They just lost the Browns 27-25. They're now 1-10 this year. And when you look at his tenure, Mike, there's a lot to dissect here. But big thing is this, his first-round pick's just a mess, okay? None of them from 2013 to 2016 remain with the team. Luke Jekyll, the offensive tackle, 2013. Blake Bortles, 2014, lasted five seasons, had a solid 2017 season, and Instead of allowing him to play on the fifth-year option, they gave him a contract extension. Then he was so awful in 2018, he was benched. The team decided to move on, even though it cost them $16.5 million in dead money. Uh, Dante Fowler traded to the Rams last season. He was a 2015 pick. Jalen Ramsey, 2016, unhappy with management, asked for a trade, sat out a couple of games with a back injury. He goes to the Rams. And running back Leonard Fournette was cut this past September. We play your sound from a year ago. Long time coming. The fact that there's an article today that they're going to keep David Caldwell into 2020, like if they do that, like seriously, like who is sleeping? Like is this, do you remember the show a Petticoat Junction with Uncle Joe sitting on the porch? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you have to wake up Uncle Joe every day to get the girls to go over, you know, like like if somebody, if they keep Caldwell down there, then truly cons Uncle Joe. Like he's just really not paying attention. Like you've won one year in the last decade. All the other years you've lost 10 or more games. And I actually would feel like Marone's not the reason here. Marone's the victim, right? Marone is the victim. We said on the shuffle that Caldwell and Coughlin convinced the owner to trade Jalen Ramsey. 
How? I don't know. Maybe because we can't sign them, maybe because of this. But to me, if this organization doesn't scream for remodel, if it doesn't scream for just start all over, Shakan, if it doesn't scream for like, look, we don't know what the fuck we're doing because nine out of 10 years, we've lost double digits. That's proof we don't know that I don't know what is. That was from December 19th of a year ago. Uh, by the way, Dick Marone's going to be the coach the rest of this season. But Caldwell, just a miserable tenure in Jacksonville, Mike. There's no way around it. I mean, look, and, and the thing is, is and, and Millie says to me yesterday, well, you got your guy fired. I said, no, I, I didn't get David Caldwell got uh, fired. I didn't get him fired. He got himself fired. I mean, like, seriously, he he his his inability to, to draft, to, to admit mistakes. I mean, it's one thing to pick Bortles. It's another thing to sign him to an extension because you want to validate yourself. Like, like David's biggest mistake was thinking that he was right, you know? And I called him David Blaine Caldwell because he made all the other problems disappear. I mean, like how anybody could have kept their job after all this time, after 213. I promise you, AD, David Blaine Caldwell will make himself appear somewhere else. I mean, he may be like false face in Batman. He may have another look, another face, but he'll be somewhere else. You know, he, the magic of David Caldwell, of David Blaine Caldwell won't go away because it's a connected league and he's connected because obviously he survived longer than anybody could. But let the fundamental issue in Jacksonville is simply this. I mean, they have lost so badly over the last 10 years. That the, that the owner who's made billions and one of the richest owners in the league has to sit down with himself and say, what's wrong with my team? What's wrong with my franchise? And the, what's wrong with his franchise is he's never built a culture. He's never built a culture. He's never allowed the culture to come in and build himself. He's always hired, you know, he hired Coughlin. Coughlin wanted to be the head coach. He moved Marone out of the head coaching office so he could be in it. And Marone's in a defensive coordinator's office as the head coach. I mean, like, seriously, it, it is just so toxic from start to finish in the building. Then they hired Trent Belke this year. Belke comes in. I'm sure Belke thinks he should be the GM. And well, he should, you know, I mean, Belkey was successful in San Francisco. You know, I'm sure he's going to want to get the GM job. Why fire, why fire Caldwell now? I mean, David Blaine made himself disappear. Like, why not fire him now? Like, why, 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 why was he still there to run the draft? Why was he still picking all these assets? I mean, it, it really comes down to the, the problem with the National Football League is this, is the, the people that run these teams have to rely on other people's information to make decisions. And because of that, they are subject to what the agenda is of the person they're on the telephone with. And this is why Al Davis was so brilliant, because Al Davis understood people had agendas and people were lying to him and telling him somebody was good. And so he wanted to make his own decisions. And when you look fundamentally at the best teams in the National Football League, they divorce themselves from the league office. They don't listen to outside counsel. They make decisions based on their own gut feelings, based on what they see. Detroit goes ahead and hires a search firm. I'm sure Jacksonville will hire Jed Hughes in a search firm. I mean, this Jed Hughes search firm has got to be the, the biggest. It's, it's got to be one. It, it, it should have a 30 for 30 itself. Jed was a really bad football coach. A really bad football coach who got fired. He Jed Hughes was with us in Cleveland for one year, and it and it really was bad, right? It was bad. He hates me uh, forever, which I don't really have a problem. He hates Belichick forever, which I'm sure Bill doesn't have a problem. But the reality of it is, is is he was in Cleveland, and the the Steeler organization 
made it told Chuck Noll you had to make a decision between Tony Dungy or they wanted to keep Dungy and they and this guy wanted to keep Jed Hughes. And finally, the Steelers organization, being who they are, got rid of, got rid of, they ended up getting rid of both of them. Dungy went on to Minnesota. But the reality was, uh, you know, Jed, they got rid of Jed. They wanted Jed Hughes out of that building. And now Jed is advising, co- advising these teams on who should be a good coach. Like, seriously, like he's advising people on who to be a good coach. You know, it's, it just goes back to the Walsh line, goes right back to the Walsh line. Bunch of ex coaches now, a bunch of ex bad coaches now telling good coaches what to do. And that's what it is. And Jacksonville won't ever win. They can hire whoever they want. They can have a thousand assets. They're never going to win because the reality of it is, is they don't structurally are not set up to win. And that's what we always say. It starts from the top down and Jacksonville has to look ahead and say, listen, we've been a miserable team. Obviously, Shad Khan and company have to change things. And it starts from the top. Uh, coming up, we are going to talk about Tom Brady, the situation with the Bucs, him and Bruce Arians, Anthony Lynn, litany of mistakes. But before we do that, we do want to talk about the Denver Broncos and what happened here because... Uh, COVID impacting one of their guys and the fact that the rest of the quarterbacks were not wearing masks as mandated by the NFL's COVID-19 protocols. That meant that starting quarterback, Drew Locke, backup, Brett Rippon, practice squad veteran, Blake Bortles, that's right, all disqualified over the weekend. The NFL discovered those three guys were not wearing masks on Wednesday, the day before. Number three quarterback, Jeff Driscoll, tested positive for the coronavirus. So that meant... Their, receiver, their quarterback was Broncos quarterback Kendall Hinton. That's a rookie receiver, former Wake Forest quarterback from their practice squad. NFL debut. He went one for nine, 13 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. I mean, absolutely miserable performance. But what would you expect against the Saints, who rolled to a 31-3 victory? Taysom Hill wasn't nearly as sharp. He was only 9 of 16 for 78 yards, no passing touchdowns, but two rushing touchdowns, an interception, and a passer rating of 43.2. He runs 10 times for 44 yards. Before I get your take, Mike, here's Vic Fangio, Broncos head coach, how disappointed he was about his quarterbacks. Well, I was disappointed um, on a couple levels in that that our quarterbacks put us in this position, that it put, our quarterbacks put the league in that position. We count on them to be the leaders of the team and you know leaders of the offense, and uh, those guys made a mistake, and that, that is disappointing. Obviously, I haven't done a good enough job of selling the protocols to them you know, when they're on their own. So, you know, part of that could fall on me there. So interesting. He buried them first and said they had to be accountable, then took some responsibility as well. Either way, this was a terrible look for the Broncos. Yeah, and you know what I found fascinating about his commentary was he wasn't pissed off at the league. I think he felt like it was through their mistakes, it was through their carelessness, and he accepted it. I mean, it wasn't like this is a, we got a raw deal, like I don't understand it, you know, this is unfair. Look, I mean, this is, so people always ask me the question, why Baltimore gets their stuff canceled and you know or de- or delayed and why Denver had to play well Denver didn't have covid running through their building like Baltimore does so this was all about tracing so they had to remove those guys from the room if they would have been offensive linemen they would have just removed them from the room to the league office they don't give a shit it was quarterbacks i mean the league office has made it very clear we don't care what the product looks like we care about getting it on the field we care about having a game and sean payton's attitude in this game was kind of interesting i think sean payton basically just said look i'm not losing this game i'm gonna run the single wing today with Taysom hill 
I'm going to do whatever I got to do. They can't move the ball for 10 plays in a row consistently. The ball's not getting thrown over our head. We're not falling for any fucking reverses. No trick plays. We all know that shit's going to happen. And you know, you're going to have to you're going to have to throw the ball to beat us and he's up 17 nothing at the half. He gives up a field goal, he's up 24-3 and then the next thing you know it's over. So, this is what you get. This is what you get when you don't follow the rules. Like, is it unfair? Yeah, of course it's unfair. But I think what Vic said was, hey, we have no one else to blame but ourselves. And somehow the league office caught him. Yeah, I mean, I give him credit for understanding the fact that, yeah, you know what? There's no blame game here. And there has been a lot of conversation about Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Listen, San Francisco, they were hampered by COVID earlier in the year. How come they were forced to play? Whereas Baltimore, you know, because the contact tracing, they haven't been forced to play. Chase Claypool was upset about it. You saw the Steelers commenting on Twitter. Like, it's... Bottom line is people are criticizing the league for how they're handling it, but that's one thing. That's a separate issue if you want to focus on, hey, how come you didn't postpone San Francisco, yet you are postponing the Ravens? This issue, I, I agree with you. Fangio at least is being honest, and you know what? This is on us. This is simple protocol, and I think this is often true in life, Mike. Hey, once somebody gets pinched for it, then everybody gets the lesson, right? You don't think every single team is going, holy shit, look what happened to the Broncos. That's not going to be me, right? At this point, you want a lesson heard? The league is like, great, we got our lesson message across. Does it suck for Denver? Of course it does. But I guess everyone's going to follow protocols more closely now. And everyone's going to make sure their third-string quarterback isn't involved with the team. He's going to be doing everything remotely because nobody wants to get caught like this. I mean, this, this was, you know, the, the, it was funny. This was a game that, in the circuit contest, the betting line was six. You know, that's what it came off at. And then, so if you turned in the Broncos on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock Vegas time, you had to do it by, you you basically got them only laying six. And then when you wake, and then five hours later, you find out none of the Bronco quarterbacks are playing. You might as well write that down as a win. The line went up to 14 and a half. It went up to, it closed at 16. I mean, they could have made that line 21 and I wouldn't have bet, I wouldn't have bet the, the Broncos. I mean, there's no way they were going to be able to get any points. And so, it's just a price you pay. I think that's it's a lesson that the league loves to teach. I, I find it fascinating, though, AD, what the league will do with Baltimore. Now, I'm sure Baltimore will blame the Patriots for their COVID outbreak in their building. I'm pretty confident that'll happen. John will probably say that somebody, they tried to play her out from New England and that caused all the problems and you should find New England for this because they can't wait to blame New England for everything down there. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, when when the fines come out. They have to take a first, I would think they have to take at least a Friday pick from Baltimore based on what the, what has happened in their building. Because I think they had a coach admit that they were that he wasn't wearing a mask or following protocols. Didn't they have that? I mean, there was, a, I don't know who the coach is. They said somebody in there, but they, the Ravens admitted they had a coach that they find a coach who wasn't following protocols. Yeah, now that was the issue. And you're right. Once they discover that, hey, thanks for being honest, but now guess what? We're stripping you of a pick. There's going to be some sort of penalty to ensure that this doesn't happen again. In addition to the fact your team is terribly weakened and looks to be in really rough shape against the Steelers if indeed they do play that game tomorrow night. We're recording this on a Monday morning. When we come back, it's rare that a team you say is 7-5 and five is in some serious trouble, but that's the dilemma right now facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're at the crossroads right now with Tom Brady and Bruce Aarons clearly not on the same page, and Patrick Mahomes took advantage. More of the Chiefs and Bucks and other issues, including Anthony Lynn just making some terrible decisions. That's coming on GM Shuffle.
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's talk about some more actual games here from the weekend of football. Good matchup on paper. Hey, Chiefs and Buccaneers, maybe the last time, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. And Mahomes is brilliant once again. Shame on me for actually thinking Russell Wilson was the MVP of the first half of this season. It's Mahomes mania now, baby. Tyreek Hill, you cannot single cover him. He burns the Bucs over and over. Hill had 13 catches for 269 yards receiving. That first quarter, he had 203 yards receiving and two touchdowns. By the way, the single game record for receiving yards, not even close, 336. That was Flepper Anderson. Mahomes, three touchdowns, 462 yards, 37 of 49 passing. He finished short with the single game passing yards record. That's 554, set by Norm Van Brocklin back in 1951. So he still needed almost another 90 yards there. The point is this, though. The Chiefs played great. Of course they did. The Buccaneers are the issue. And yes, you can say Tom Brady threw for 345 yards and three touchdowns, but he also had two interceptions. Uh, yeah, Gronk had a big game. Six catches, 106 yards. But the Bucs are now 7-5. and five. They've lost three of their last four games and two straight games. And it's not very hard. If you just listen to the way Tony Romo was talking, that clearly Tom Brady is not happy with Bruce Arians' coaching. And if you listen to Bruce Arians, as you will do now, you know he's not happy with Tom Brady. In the yeah, last same, just same answer, same answer. It's third down conversions. You know, and uh, these, most of them have been uh, seven or less, where we've been pretty good all season. We just... Early in the early in the game, for whatever reason, um, we're not we're not we're not making the plays, not getting open, not protecting, uh, just not making enough plays. You have the greatest NFL player of all time at 43, not playing his best football. You have a coach who has been a great coach and done some big things. Both these guys, I know ego can be an issue. I'm not even calling it ego, Mike. They're just not on the same page, and it's obvious to everybody. At seven and five, Braden and Arians are not on the same page. How do you fix this? Well, I mean, look, let's let's just get a little breakdown here. You know, first of all, they're 30th in the National Football League in first down efficiency. So the easiest down in football to make successful plays is first down. And they're 30th in that. On passing attempts of 21 yards in the air, they're 29th, okay? For rushing of four yards or more, they're 29th in the league, okay? Third down, third and long conversions, greater than six. That wasn't just yesterday. This is third and long, greater than six. They're 31st. So this wasn't just a one-game pattern of being poor behavior. I mean, third and 10, they're 27th in the league. 
Okay. So this isn't just a one game, oh, you know, we're not doing very well. You know, they're 25th in the National Football League when people attack the pocket. Tom Brady against Blitz. Saying that he doesn't read the coverages is really like, come on, seriously, it's Tom fucking Brady. He knows the coverages. Like, he's seen every coverage. So to me, you know, watching this game, you know, when I look at Tampa and I say to myself, okay, you know, defensively, probably not against a good quarterback, not as good. I mean, you, there's no way you could ever tell you can single Tyreek Hill. I mean, when you drive to the stadium, you have to double Tyreek Hill. Like, if you're going to lose to the Chief, it ain't going to be because Tyreek Hill beat you. You got to let, okay. You got you got to match up on Kelsey. You got to double hill, and you got to say, okay, Sammy, you know, somebody else beat us because there's no way we're going to be able to do that. And you know, the Bucks decided to take that other way, and it cost them. Now they've lost three of the last four games. The good every time they play a good team, and I think that you know, New Orleans is a good team. The Rams were a good team. And the Chiefs were a good team. They lose. They got. They really. The game was a three-point game, but it was it wasn't as close as that. It really wasn't. So, let, let's just take a different perspective of this. The Bucks are seven and five. Wild card team. That's what they hope to be. They have a bye this week. So let's look at this from a macro level. If you're the Glazier family, if you and you own this team. You have a coach, Bruce Arians, who is this is his last job. You have a quarterback who's 43, and this is his last team. You owe the quarterback $25 million next year. You probably owe the coach, let's say you owe him $20 million for the remainder of his contract. I don't know how much further he has. You're going to have to make a decision. Because I think after 12 games, we really know that the way Brady wants to play football, the Brady has been taught football, Brady has understood football, and the way that Bruce Arians has been in terms of the way he wants to do it are two different things. They're just diametrically different. And they can't merge together. They just can't. As Harvey Keitel says, now is not the time to not say. Now is not the time to not say this ain't working. And I think if you're the Glazer family, you got to make a decision at the end of the year. Do we bring Brady back? and change coaches? Or do we say, Brady, thank you very much. You're 43 years old. You can't go any further. Bruce, who would you like, since you're the quarterback whisperer, who do you who do you want to have a quarterback? Because this isn't working, and it's not going to work. And you could say, well, it's going to change. I said this when they signed him. If Bruce didn't just automatically say, I'm going to do what Tom does, how Tom sets up the game plan, how Tom, you can't play Kansas City without playing complimentary football. You can't, he's right, you cannot convert third downs, but you got to have a really good third down package against Steve Spagnola, and you've got to be able to stay out of third downs as much as possible, and you can't really just shoot from the hip against them because if you throw a deep ball on third and six and it's not complete, you've just lost serve. When you play the Chiefs, you're playing a tennis match. You have to hold serve. You must hold serve. And when you don't convert third downs, you're not holding serve. And I think that's really what has to happen. I'm going to write about this tomorrow for the athletic in detail. But I think that's what that that's the dilemma the Glazer family faces. Do I go forward with Tom? Do I go forward with Bruce? But the idea that this is going to mix and get better over time 
is really not going to happen. Yeah, this is our, if you don't know, now you know. We're doing the weekly awards. We'll do this one earlier than normal because it's such a big topic. And the bottom line is this. Brady says he wants to play until he's 45. He's made that clear in the past. And maybe he's soured on this experience that maybe he doesn't want to play after this year. I don't know. But I would think with his competitive fire, he does not want to go out like this. He wants to go out a winner, have a successful season, et cetera. And for Bruce Arians, again, as you said, he's done a lot of things in this league, whether it's with the Steelers or, or Arizona, and he doesn't want to have this be his legacy. He's getting pushed out by Tom Brady. So if you're the Glazer family, and yes, you have a few more weeks to evaluate it, obviously, Mike, see how the rest of the season goes. But would you be more inclined to side with Arians and part ways with Brady or keep Brady knowing you only get a couple more years here at Tom and part ways with Bruce. I think what I would do is, is I would say, okay, let me go find out who the best coach I could bring in here. I'm going to hire a coach for the next 10 years of the franchise, draft a quarterback and let Brady have the one more year to play and see what we could do. So I would lean, obviously, I'm always going to lean towards Brady. I mean, he's put two Super Bowl rings on my finger. I love the guy. But I'm, I would probably lean towards the something like that. I think they have really very little choice. But if they go with the coach and Brady leaves, is Bruce going to be around to develop the quarterback? Or is Bruce going to be there to work hard enough to, to build the franchise for the next 10 years? I think you have to look at this distantly in the future. I think you have to look at this beyond next year. Like, where are we after the 2022, 2021 season with Bruce and Tom? Do we start a rebuild? Do we just basically change everything at that point? Or do we set it up so that we can have success in 2021 and then build to the future? Or do we just let it play out? I think there needs to be some long-term solutions. And I'm not sure, because I'm not in the building, I don't know what what the problems are and what the, you know, who deserves to stay and who deserves to go. But I do know this. I know that this is going to have a hard time working structurally because the way Brady understands how football, how games need to be won and how Bruce plays how games need to be won, they're just different. Now, that doesn't make Bruce wrong and Brady right or Brady wrong and Bruce right. This is why the NFL is so different. That's why, you know, it's a league where Joe Gibbs can win a Super Bowl one year and Bill Walsh can win a Super Bowl the next year and Parcells. There's a thousand ways to skin the cat and win in the National Football League. There's not one right way or wrong way, but there is a way that you know. There's a way that Matt Patricia knows that he could never really just talk to the Lions about the right way. There's a way that Josh McDaniels knows, which is similar to the way that Tom Brady knows, right? So if you said, okay, I'm going to make Josh McDaniels my head coach next year, and he can coach Brady, but under the mandate that we're going to draft a quarterback, now maybe I've set my franchise up for the next 10 years to compete at the highest level. But that's a move, think about it in chess, that's a move you better make because you're going to be in checkmate after 2021. Well said. And the only bit of good news here for the Buccaneers is that since the Cardinals lost earlier on Sunday, the Bucs keep their current wildcard position in the NFC playoff race. They are 7-5 right now after that loss against the Chiefs. When we come back here on the GM Shuffle, talk about beating the drum. Anthony Lynn making some incomprehensible mistakes. We'll do an autopsy of his latest coaching gaffes, plus the weekly awards. Uh, look ahead to some more football this week and some other games. All that more coming up here on the GM Shuffle. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, we've talked a lot here on the GM Shuffle about Matt Patricia. We've talked about David Caldwell, another one of our favorite punching bags, Anthony Lynn. Oh, baby. All right. So this is like a CSI GM Shuffle. We're going to do an autopsy here of these mistakes. I'll set it up, Mike, and then you go ahead and go into detail with the things that he did. So let's start it off first, a two-minute drill at the end of the first half, shall we? Just before the half, he calls a timeout, 21 seconds left, his team facing fourth down on their own 45. The Chargers had wasted more than a minute and a half the clock with a hurry-up offense at that point, so why call the timeout? Go ahead, Mike. Well, I mean, it just shows you that there's no second-order thinking in anything Anthony does. I mean, unfortunately, it's just the case. And 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 on a macro level, Anthony's in charge of a billion-dollar organization. I mean, this is what he's in charge of. And Anthony, everybody says he's a wonderful man. And, and again, I'm not attacking the person, I'm attacking the results, right? Like I'm attacking the preparation. So this isn't personal towards Anthony. I'm sure Anthony's a really good dude. However, you know, when you start to think about it and some of the mistakes that just keep adding up, if you're not paying attention, if you're not Tom Telesco saying this is really bad. So at the end of the first half, he gets the ball back with 216 to go in the half. He's down 17 to six. He comes out, he throws a short pass over the middle for a first down. The two minute warning comes. They start, you know, now they don't want to give the ball back to Buffalo. Buffalo has just scored to go ahead to just kick the field goal to go ahead 17 to six. So you don't want to score, you don't want to, you don't want to give them the ball back, right? So pass, so second, so second down after the two minute warning. He throws a short pass, keeps the clock running. The clock is moving. Throws another pass on first and 10, incomplete, stops the clock. Now we got a second and 10 with 129 to go. He throws a, a short pass for 10 yards. Okay, now he takes a sack. On first and 10 at the Charger 44, he takes a sack. Timeout, 101 to go. Second and 18, okay? Short pass over the middle for nine yards. All right, now the clock is running. He goes no huddle. He throws another short pass at, at 44 seconds, he waits to call his timeout. He lets, so, so at this point at second and 18, he either has to tell to the OC, look, we're going to go for it no matter what it is. Unless it's bad, we're going for it. So once it's third and nine, he knows, look, we're going to go for it. You know, just make two down calls here, we're going for it. But once again, indecision, not sure what to do, calls a timeout, and then he's got a punt. So he looks really bad doing that. And then, you know, much to the much to the, you know, the consistency that Anthony has displayed in terms of a game manager, 
is he gets the ball back with 326 to go in the game. He's down 27-17. Now it's a two-possession game. He's got to try to score. When you're down by two, you've got to try to score before the two-minute warning. So that pick, you pick up a little bit of time, you get another timeout. But unfortunately, you sometimes you can't do that. So he's got the ball his own 12-yard line. It's going to be hard to score, you know, in a minute 21 from your own 10. And they're playing prevent defense. So he gets the ball down there. Fourth and 17 with a minute 14 to go in the game, he gets a holding call, right? So now it's fourth and 27 at the Charger 43 with a minute to go in the game. He throws, Herbert throws an unbelievable pass to Ty Johnson for 55 yards. The ball lands on the two. By the time they snap the next play, there's 25 seconds left to go. So they they lost 35 seconds just on that play alone, okay? They really weren't prepared for it. So what does he do on first and two? Now, he's only got 25 seconds left. He needs two scores. He runs the football on first and two. And naturally, he gets stopped. He gets stopped. He gets bailed out by a penalty. He gets bailed out by a penalty. That stops the clock. Now, there's eight seconds to go in the game. Okay? He throws an incomplete pass to the end zone. It's short. There's three seconds to go in the game. He sends Herbert up the middle for no yards. Like, at some point, this is just demonstrates to Telesco and to the Spanos family that they've never practiced these situations before. Like the, every time it's foreign, every time it's something new, and the way they react and behave to it is so poorly constructed and orchestrated that you know they're not doing it. And I'm sure Anthony w- wants to do a better job. I'm sure it's in his heart to do a better job. It's just not in the results. And as a, if you're running a billion-dollar company and you're in charge with a quarterback who I truly believe is a top-10 quarterback right now, you owe it to yourself to make this change. I mean, there's no way the players have any confidence in the coach after this. They read the papers. They understand what's going on. And I could check. I mean, you could teach a course in what not to do on Charger games this year. And, and even more into the detail. Like, I looked at, the QB, I always look at QBR ratings after the games on Sunday. There's so many details that that even on the surface that you don't see, the fans don't see in, t- in Anthony's game management. It's you got to run the ball here. It's like last week we talked about the Bucks in the two minute. You got to run the ball here. Nope, they don't. They throw a deep pass incomplete. Well, I mean, like, okay, QBR this week. There's so many details. Baker Mayfield is the fourth highest rated QBR quarterback last week. I thought Baker Mayfield was atrocious in the game, right? I thought Baker Mayfield missed wide open receivers. He threw the ball on the wrong shoulder. He didn't make, I mean, every throw he made, guys were wide open. But yet his numbers prove out to be four. That's why as the GM, you have to look past the numbers because you could sit there and say, well, Baker was fourth in the league this year. You know, he had a he had an 88 QBR rating. Yeah, well, if you watch the game and you bet Cleveland to cover the line, you don't think Baker was very good, trust me. You don't think Baker was very good. You think Baker missed some fourth down throws. He missed a wide open guy in the back of the end zone. They had to settle for a field goal. He left points on the field. Like part of QBR should be how many points does the quarterback leave on the field? And part of evaluating a coach is how many mistakes in a game does he make, right? And do they continue to make the same mistakes? It's like we started this podcast off with Matt Patricia could never fix the defense, Matt Nagy can never fix the offense. You hired Matt Nagy to help your quarterback become great, and he can't help you. What does that leave you with Matt Nagy? 
Where did it leave you with Matt Patricia? Same thing. That's the answer. You got the answer. Where does it leave you with Anthony Lynn? It never gets better. And now, and at this point, they're three and eight. They're eight and nineteen in their last twenty-seven games. By comparison, Adam Gase and the Jets are seven and twenty over that frame. And to your point about Herbert, this guy goes thirty-one and fifty-two for three hundred sixteen yards. He's got over three thousand yards passing now. Three thousand sixteen. He joins Patrick Mahomes as the only players to top three thousand yards passing in their first ten career starts. And ultimately, that's what the LA is going to say. They're going to sit down and go, "Listen, we've got our guy. We've got a great young quarterback. We've got our franchise quarterback." We're not putting him in a position to succeed. And that's where there has to be a change made at the coaching position, I would think, at the end of the year. Here is Anthony Lim, by the way, talking about that last play. Completely miscommunication now. Completely. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I mean, with, with no timeouts, no time. 16 seconds, I think, on the clock. Yeah, yeah, that was completely miscommunication. So was that your call? Was that Shane's call? When you say miscommunication? I'm, you know what? I'm just going to leave it, leave it at that and just say that was miscommunication. <laughs> Just miscommunication. Okay, thanks for clarifying. I mean, look, you know, it's you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. I mean, if the Spanos family doesn't wreck it, I mean, I'm sure they love Anthony Lynn. Everybody, everybody tells me Anthony Lynn's a great dude. I don't know Anthony personally, but at some point, you know, the, the, when the details don't get done in a high level industry, high level, you know, you 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 have to find a way to make these to make problems be solved. Once again, the head coach is a chief figure out officer. He's got to make. He can't handle every problem. And there, there there's going to be problems every week. I mean, as Parcells used to say all the time, when the head coach walks into his office, he has four problems on his desk before the day starts, and he's going to get six that he never anticipated during the day. So you, you can't control all the problems. There's no chance. However, what you can control is solving some so they don't creep up again next week. That's how you judge a coach. That's how you judge a coach. And unfortunately, Anthony can't do that. He can't. He can't solve the problem. He can't learn from prior mistakes. So he can't keep the job because what's going to happen is the Spanos family will lose credibility with their fan base. And more importantly, if they don't even give a shit about their fan base, they're going to lose credibility with their with their teammate, with the team. That's the problem there for the Chargers. I'll do another game here because this is a major story here in the AFC. And that's Tua Tunga Wailoa. All right. We thought he was going to be the guy here for the Miami Dolphins. Instead, he was uh, obviously thought to be the guy inactive with a left thumb injury. So Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in. Fitz Magic, he was benched a few weeks ago. He throws two touchdown passes. Okay, I get that it's the Jets. You win 20-3, to but you bounce back to having a five-game winning streak end last week. And now Tua, that's the major storyline. Wait, he was supposed to be the guy leading them to the promised land. Instead, the Dolphins, they're now 7-4 and in the AFC playoff hunt. And here's head coach Brian Flores on the status of Tua for next week. Oh, well, you know, obviously Tua was downgraded to out. We'll see how how he does in practice over the course of the week. But he's a tough kid. It was very close to him being able to go. But we just, you know, we've got to make good decisions for him as well. So, yeah, we'll see how he does over the course of this week in practice. So follow this long, winding journey. Guy was electrifying with Alabama, suffers a devastating injury, still gets picked by the Dolphins, uh, you know, coaxed along here in training camp. Fitzpatrick was a starter. Okay, now it's to a time that he was benched at one point because of ineffectiveness. Now he's out with a thumb injury. This is not going the way the Jets anticipated when it comes to Tunga Bailoa, right, Mike? No, and I mean, look, you know, I know that everybody from our dear friend Boomer to, you know, uh, Lee Steinberg said, you should never worry about this kid's injury or durability history, but yet there it is again, 
right? There it is again. You know, how does he hurt his thumb? You know, and, and I'm sure that, you know, and is he going to be able to stay healthy? I mean, you know, I'm, I don't wish the kid not to be healthy, but I mean, if you just have to look at it. Durability is an issue. I mean, the kid played four games and he's already missing games. You can't, you know, and, and thankfully Fitzpatrick was able to go in and make plays and do what he needed to do. But, you know, that, that's, that's got to concern you. And I think that there's, there really is no wow factor again. Does that mean he's not going to be a good player? I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying there's, to me, after the evidence that has been in, Herbert was the better player. There's no doubt. Yeah. And right now, if you were to look at the the top young quarterbacks, you said Herbert, Burrow, Tua. Again, Tua is behind Burrow after the kind of season he had for Cincinnati. Now, of course, he now has his own devastating injury to overcome, but clearly Burrow looked like he was the real deal for the Bengals. All right. That's the issue there for Miami. Durability concerns. What the hell happened to the Raiders? This was a Vegas team that was looking good a couple weeks ago. All of a sudden, they're six and five. We had a, a slew of teams that were six and three, and you say, okay, a couple of these teams are not going to make it. Now it looks like it's going to be the Ravens and the Raiders and the outside looking in. The Vegas, they, they look like pretenders now. They're six and five, second straight loss. They got blown out against Atlanta. 43 to six, they lose. The Falcons forced five turnovers, four of them by Carr. Carr fumbled the ball away three times in addition to having an interception. I, this is amazing, Mike, because we went, both of us were talking about, hey, man, Carr showed me something. He looked so great on Sunday night, almost pulled off that win against the Chiefs. And now this was just disastrous performance by him. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Raiders were riding high with their loss to Kansas City. They felt everything was going to be back. I mean, this is one of the things that just, it all fell apart. I mean, the Raiders are 3 or 12 on third down. They're usually a really good third down team. They had 243 yards of total offense in the game. They couldn't get any rhythm going. And Raheem Morris was on John Gruden's staff down in Tampa. Remember, he replaced John Gruden in Tampa as the head coach. So he knows John. He kind of knows what John likes. He has a feel for John. And so much like, again, I'm going to keep going back to chess, much like chess players that play one another that are familiar with how each player, how they play at attack, I think Raheem Morris had a pretty good sense of what was going on. Not that I thought the Falcons offensively played well against the bad Raider defense. You know, the game kind of got out of hand in the second half. They scored 27 points in the second half, but this is one of those the Raiders can forget about. Now, the good news for the Raiders is they go back and play the Jets, which, you know, after yesterday, I think Jet fans probably know that Sam Darnold isn't the answer, you know, and I'm not sure that certain newspapers in New York will write this because the one of the writers for the New York paper loves Sam Darnold coming out, so he's not going to admit he made a mistake on the evaluation. But Sam Darnold just is a turnover machine. He, two more interceptions. You know, I love Sam Darnold coming out too, but if I were the GM of the Jets, I'd have a hard time believing if I had the first pick in the draft, I'm going to pass Trevor Lawrence to, to convince myself that Sam Darnold's not going to start turning the ball over. He may, he may not. But it's too risky. And, you know, and now the Raiders get to go back there. Remember last year, the Raiders went back there and got whooped. So this is an East Coast trip for the Raiders that I think they they obviously have got the attention. They throw that game away. They get back on the track and see where they come up with. Here's what John Gruden had to say, by the way, this year's team versus last year's team. No, no, no. You know, that's going to be written and talked about, I'm sure, on, you know, some of the, the talk shows, rightfully so. We didn't play well today. Falcons are fighting for their lives. We said that coming in here. This is one of the best three and seven teams I have seen. They did this to Minnesota, uh, who was a playoff team last year. And uh, I challenge anybody that's uh, getting ready for Atlanta. This team is a very good football team and are well coached. AD, I don't disagree with them. I think this is just one of those where, you know, I don't think this Raider team's anything like last year. 
I, I think they're way better. I think they're still terrible on defense, as you know. But I think, you know, Atlanta's a, a, a pesky team. I mean, they're kind of annoying. And, you know, they can get up on you. They can't hold leads, as we know. They kind of seem to fall apart. But that was a tough spot for them going into. And I think they have to move on and just focus on just kicking the shit out of the Jets. Uh, have, a, have a quick, uh, short memory, as they say, and just move on. So as we wrap up the weekly awards here, so if you don't know, now you know. That's Brady and Arians, Oil and Water. On the Lamb is the Raiders. How about the Fred Palermo Award, the best game plan going into the week? Who do you give that to? Well, you know, I, I really thought that, I, I thought the 49ers, I think that Kyle Shanahan just, and, and Robert Saliah, they just have a way of handling the Rams. And for whatever reason, I mean, they've beaten the Rams twice this year. I mean, their two wins in the division are, are, are in the against the Rams. I mean, they've really played the Rams well. They, they give Goff, Goff has that look, that like, please bet against me look. You know, in-game betting, you know, that look that Goff has that I think that... Now, yesterday, Nick Mullen had that please bet against me look too, you know? So it was one of those games I wasn't sure where to go with it. But the reality of it is, is, is that, you know, that... You got to give the Niners credit. Offensively, they weren't great, but defensively, they gave the Ram- they gave the Rams a lot of problems. And look, the Rams were fortunate to win last week against Tampa. I thought they played really well offensively. Goff got the ball out quick. This wasn't the case. Goff looked bad this week. All right, so that's the story there. And just to wrap things up, Monday Night Football, the Seahawks and the Eagles. I mean, a tough matchup for Philly. They're three six and one facing a seven and three Seattle team, and we hope we get Baltimore six and four taking on the Steelers at ten and on Tuesday night. Your thoughts on either of those games? Well, I think this week, you know, this is an interesting game tonight, the Monday Night game, because you know the Eagles that they obviously have not played well all season. People are talking about Jalen Hurts coming in the game like that's going to really save them, you know, and and. I, my sense of it is, is this line is moving to Seattle at six and a half now this morning. Uh, you know, my line says it should be 4.3. I kind of laid off the game in terms of picking it. I finally got back on track last week, AD. I finally, I stuck strictly to my numbers. I mean, strictly to my numbers. And my numbers say at 4.31, and if the line is 6.5, so I just have to put my calculation in, that would be a 4.3 point variation of the line. So I would take Philadelphia if I had to take anybody. I don't trust Philly to take them, but that would be the recommendation based on my numbers. Just like I don't, I didn't trust Chicago and the return of MVP Mitch to, to bet them against the Packers, even though the line was moving to the right sense. But, you know, Philadelphia, if they play Jalen Hurts, it might help Seattle. I mean, everybody in Philly wants Jalen Hurts to play. That might help Seattle because that could be a turnover waiting to happen. So the Eagles better find a way to win because next week they've got Green Bay in Green Bay. And and let's just hope this Ravens-Steelers game happens. I mean, the Ravens, I don't know how the hell you can put any money on them. If they don't have Lamar, they have all these guys, the walking wounded. I, I agreed with you previously. Listen, Baltimore, that's a good team. They play Pittsburgh well, but with the way that this COVID's impacted them, Tuesday night could be ugly. It could be. I mean, they might not have any players to play, and I don't think the league really cares. I don't think the league really cares. The league's like, look, you're on your own. And I mean, this is a mess that was created by them. I mean, this is, a, I'm sure it's New England's fault, but this is a mess created by the Ravens. Exactly. So no uh, no weeping for them. Thanks as always for checking out the GM Shuffle. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, M. Lombardi NFL, Adnan Esferic. Follow the GM Shuffle on Instagram as well. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know it was a little bit different here without uh, families being together. Hope you enjoyed the stuffing. Hope you watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the greatest Thanksgiving movie ever. As always, check out Mike's work in the Daily coach in which he weaves in the queen's gambit along with all the chess moves happening in the world of football we'll talk to you again on thursday